0: What we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Once we know we have a fear, like we don't wanna just be like, I'm this way. And like, that's just gonna be the central thing about me is that I have this fear. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, Asha here. Together with my best friend and partner, Kashia, I run Bridget, a confidence coaching platform for teen girls. This is our podcast, Meet Bridget. We created this podcast with the mission of establishing a library of diverse career paths for young women to relate to. Most weeks, we interview a successful woman focusing on how her teen and adult years impacted her path. We get into the real stuff, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But sprinkled into this season's roster of badass interviews, we've also been pulling back the curtain on our own friendship and breaking down topics of relevance to our audience and our young clientele. We get into the latest research, our own experiences, and the burning questions of our listeners.
1: Hi, everyone. Kishia here. So last week, Asha and I were doing some weekly prep, aka having a weekly check-in, as we do. And sometimes these conversations go on for hours and they're podcast related. And sometimes, like last week, they go into story time. And last week, Asha was telling me a story about something I didn't know about her. (laughs) Or maybe I did, but I don't know. This just became very relevant and it like unraveled into what we're going to talk about today.
0: But Asha, why don't you tell, yeah, why
1: don't you just tell our audience about your Phobia of spiders. Well, you tell the story, and then I guess our audience will come to a decision once we go through fears and phobias and anxieties of whether or not it's a true phobia or not.
0: Well, it's so funny because I feel like you can live with certain things and you can be a certain way, and like have no consciousness of the fact that you're that way until, and every once in a while you just get like a little moment where you're like, oh, this is something about me, you know, (laughs) that's like a thing, and it may be rational. So, anyways. So it was like last week, and there was one night that my husband was out of town, which I hate. I like never sleep well when he's not in the room. It's just a that's not the actual phobia, but like I was alone in the house with my daughters, and everything was going great. I put him down, I was going to bed. Um, I'm like just falling asleep, and I just feel this little like tickle tickle on my neck, and like yeah. I just knew, you know, you just know, I. I, I just flung on myself out of bed and, like, smacked my neck. I turned on the light. And at first I was like, oh, no, this is nothing. This is nothing. It's a, I just it, my hair hit my neck. But then I turn my head and look at this, like, pillow. That's not, It's actually my old breastfeeding pillow, which I don't even really need yeah. right now. But yeah. sitting next to the bed and on it, like, a good, bigger than a quarter, black, spiky, like, this scary kind of Halloween spiders. Like, not that little daddy like long Fuzzy. No, this was like not a sharp. Not a tarantula,
1: but like a sharp, a tarantula. Like,
0: legs were daggers, dark black, mean spider. And I, I'm like, that was what was on my neck, 100%. And I just stared at it for a second because it's not really the kind of spider that you can just like, you know, smack or like crush with like something like a pillow or whatever. Like it's going to crunch. It's going to be an audible crunch when that thing dies. Oh, God. And uh, also like, I don't know if I have this one in me. Like usually what's weird is like when Andrew's not here, I usually just face the spider by myself, but when he's here, I like make him get it. Anyways, he wasn't here and I was like, I got to do this by myself. But in that moment that I hesitated, it crawled behind the pillow and disappeared. And at that point, I like, sm- I start smacking the pillow just to like smash it against the wall. And I'm like, maybe it's just between the pillow and the wall and I'll deal with it in the morning. But then I'm like, okay, am I going to move the pillow and make sure it's dead? If so, I'm going to see a gross, disgusting smash spider, Gross. Or I'm going to realize that I didn't get it, which means like maybe I'll stay up all night. So at that point, I was like, I'm just not going to look at it. I'm going to assume that I killed it. And I can face that in the morning when things are safe and not creepy. So anyways, I go to bed. The entire rest of the night, I am like, I wish I could capture video of this night. I'm like jumping all night long, smacking myself in the face, like (laughs) wake up periodically. And I'm like, You know that, that like sweep that you do of inside your sheets to make sure there's like nothing in there. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, I'll do this. But you're you're just kind of like airing out the sheets and stuff all night long. Every, probably every 30 minutes, I'm doing this weird, crazy, crazy shit. So, anyways, that was my night. Andrew comes back into town. We're like, whatever. I tell him the story. I, I actually do look behind the pillow the next day and there's no spider guts. So that thing was on the loose. But I just was like, okay, you know what? the spider didn't get me. I'm good. Like, it's probably in our house somewhere. And I just need to be an adult about this. So
1: unless you accidentally swallowed it.
0: Don't even don't even. (laughs) It's I literally like it's the only you know, those like mouth tape things that people. Yeah. Yeah. Mouth tape. I bought them, And in the back of my mind was like, maybe this would keep me also from swallowing spiders.
1: I know because there's that whole statistic.
0: I can't with that statistic. Like that person is just mean. They're like, "Let's just well yeah. <laughs> people that have spider phobias." So anyways, going about my life, we're like the weekend comes up and it's like my little nephew's um birthday party and we do it on the beach. It's really cute. We go back to my sister's place and my 1-year-old loves those little pottery barn chairs that are like just the size for little babies. So he has one at their house. And so she's being all cute and like crawls over and is, like sitting on it. And everyone's like, oh, Nina's being so cute. And then we're all looking at her and we just see the same exact spider crawls from a, back behind the, the little chair and is like literally crawling right towards Nina. I'm standing there. I literally like, like a flash grabbed Nina, pulled her away. And like everyone kind of saw it happen. And, like, I don't even know what happened with the spider at that point. Like, maybe someone, I think someone grabbed it and put it outside or something. But in that moment, it was, like, in my mind, I was literally, like, this is the same spider. And it's coming for me. And I, my, I was, at that point, i like, full spiral. I'm, like, what does this represent? Who is the spider? Like, what does it mean in my life? Like, it could have killed my baby. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> it was just, like, in Nina's clothes the whole time.
0: All yes, week. It was the I same just, spider. Or mine. I don't know. Like who knows in my hair? Like, I don't know.
1: So I'm,
0: (laughs) I'm sitting here and like trying to calm myself down. And it was just taking a long time. And everyone else had kind of like gotten over like, yeah, that was kind of scary. Like it was kind of like really close to Nina. Like, good job. You grabbed her really quickly. Like they're all talking rationally. And I just could not calm my body. And I, you know, Nina was fine. Everything was fine. And out of nowhere, I just started crying. And my mom was like, it's going to be okay. And then (laughs) I looked at my brother and I'm like, yeah, I, I, like stop crying actually. And then I'm like, I looked at my brother and I was like, I think I have, I think I have arachnophobia. Like, I think this is like a, <laughs> this, is a this is like what that is. That's like an irrational fear, like a right? Like seated, I, I, yes. <laughs> yeah. I could not calm my body. And I'm like, I think of myself as like a pretty balanced, even keel yeah. adult woman at this point. And it was just one of those things where, and then I started kind of thinking about it. I was like, I've always, I've always really had strange reactions not strange but like big reactions to spiders and then I started thinking like I used to have night terrors when I was like a child you know like mm-hmm. eight nine I where you and a night terror is like when you wake up like screaming yeah. like a full sensory overload thing that like I mean you could have as as a really young child and every time in my night terror the dream was that I was on a giant like a you know a spool of thread I was like stuck to the spool and a spider, giant spider, is going around and spinning its web around and around and around, tying me to the spool until my entire body's, it's like tight around my body until it's like just my eyes. Where that are showing.
1: did this come from?
0: No idea. I don't, my crazy, you know what I think it came from? I think it came from, uh, is it—is it Lord of the Rings where there's like the giant spider? lord of the rings uh, or maybe it's no. harry potter was it harry potter, potter,
1: potter? has the giant spider in, in the forest color. yeah
0: yeah maybe that like my dad used to read um stories to yeah. us this is an aside my dad would read stories to us like every sunday um and he did like all the lord of the rings books and then he did um like harry potter and a bunch but like maybe that tied in with some like so- weird Oh, you also pa-
1: have a very active imagination.
0: Super, super active. So, anyways, but I'm like, will- I'm sitting at my sister's and I'm like tying all these things together. I'm like, oh, like my night terrors were also about spiders. I'm like, this is a thing for me, you know? It's <laughs> been and- around. Yes. So, anyways, I call and I'm told Kashia this ridiculous story because I'm like, all right, now that I know I have the phobia, like, what do I do with it? You know? And like, is it something I have or is it something I'm going to get over? Or is like, how do I cope? Is it like exposure therapy? Like, I don't know. So anyways, I was just sharing this with her because I was like, you know what I learned about myself? Like, I think that that arachnophobia thing is actually a thing that is real with me. And we had a good giggle about it.
1: Yes. Yes. I actually, it, it caused me to think about my own fears, rational and irrational, which we'll get into. But it's just, it's so interesting because how your story transitions into your mama bear reaction with Nina really opens up the conversation for why fear exists, right? Why are some fears considered rational and why are others considered irrational or, you know, quote unquote phobias where you have an irrational, like very strong fear of something which may or may not even be something to be fearful of for, you know, There's arachnophobia, which is fear of spiders. There are also people who are agoraphobics, who are afraid of going outside. Some of those people are afraid of, like, getting exposed to germs, et cetera. So there's there's tons of different types of phobias out there. I would say I have something called trypophobia. And we'll get into this a little bit. But it's, like, a fear of, like, clusters or holes or, like, things that are, like, clustered together. Like granola? No, no, like organic things. Like, um I don't know
0: this about you. It's this hard. is, you-
1: yes, if you, so I'm trying like, just trying to describe this actually like gives me a visceral reaction, like it makes me itchy <laughs> and it like makes me nauseous. Because if you look up trypophobia, which I will gracefully type into the show notes for our listeners, <laughs> so you can independently look this up. You will see the most horrifying pictures of, like, gallstones clustered together and they look like Mm -hmm. like organic material or, like, a bunch of ants, like, all clustered together or, like, yeah, but it's not, like, a mushroom by itself, fine. I could do that all day. Like, one bee, one ant, it's fine. But when you get like hundreds of these things together and then they're moving like the backs of wolf spiders where the babies start crawling and like all of a sudden like spiders thingy- and clusters yes. yeah yes, it's like the thing <laughs> that's like our <laughs> that's our- that's our our phobia together. So yes. things like that. but it's interesting because I didn't really have a name for that until I was an adult as a kid it was just like, oh I can't look at like a lotus pod or the inside of a sunflower like it would like make me itchy. And then I realized that other people had very similar reactions. There's this whole group of people who have trypophobia. And again, type it into Google yourself. The pictures will speak for itself. I don't know how anyone could look at a picture of anything like under this category and not just get like the heebie But
0: I'm like literally Ugh. not going to type it in because I'm so afraid that the first thing that will come up is a cluster of spiders. <laughs>
1: It won't. It won't. It, okay. I will tell you. Like I've tried to do exposure therapy to myself, and I'm I end up just like right gagging now. and like throwing my phone at Kevin, <laughs> being like, "I can't do this. Put it away."
0: Well, this but, is because, like, I you know what I heard in your response was like, you know, when you realized that there are actually a, a, quite a few people that have the same thing, and yes. there's a word for it that gave you some little like modicum of peace in a weird way. Like yeah. I think in you know, general, when we find out, like even like like the, some like irrational or weird things about us, like oh, this is a thing, and like other people have it too, um, mm-hmm. you know, can provide some peace. But I think that you and I, like, we wanted to come on on this episode because, you know, it's one thing to like label our fears and even to find community in like them with other people, but then we also wanted to talk about like okay once we are able to identify our fears, what role do they play in our, like what we're focusing on? You know, like once we know we have a fear, like we don't wanna just be like, I'm this way. And like, that's just gonna be the central thing about me is that I have this fear, but rather like, okay, how do I move? How do I create confidence while also having fears? Or do I have to beat my fears to be confident? Like what what is that kind of dynamics? We wanted to dive into that today. And I think that you and I, Um, We dove into some research and also some linguistics, which we love doing our etymologies, our bridge etymologies, and really learning where some of these words and terms originated. So which one do you want to dive into first, Kishi?
1: Well, we could start with just the basic definition of fear, which is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat you know, I think one of the significant things about fear is that it's also a nervous system reaction and an instinct for us as human beings, which will tie in a little bit later when we're talking about how to move through your fear with confidence rather than working against it or running away from it. Because instincts are are things that are programmed into us for specific function from the time that we're infants, we're equipped with these specific survival instincts that help us respond. And in the case of fear, it's a response of when we sense danger or feel unsafe, it prompts us to make a decision. In scientific language or in, like, biology language, like, that would be the fight-or-flight instinct, where you either decide to stand up and fight, aka, like, stand and face your fears, like, people people do with exposure therapy or you know just trying to quote-unquote face something head-on or flight where you tend to run away from it. In the real world or in when we didn't have a an advanced society and we were still living like in the bush and having to take care of ourselves and we were trying to protect ourselves from outside threats like predators and animals those were the two reactions. So I think over time we've been able to hone that and we have the distinct opportunity today of being able to look at these fears, irrational and rational, and everything in between, and decide how we, wanna, how we want to move through them and with them. One of the really fun things that we did, as Asha mentioned, is we looked at the etymologies of the word. And we even looked into some Greek mythology, which I love and Ashi loves. Where did the term fear originate from?
0: So okay, so we did an, an etymology for for fear and also for phobia. So the word fear, because you know they're the, similar but maybe not the same, we wanted to dive into that. Fear came from Old English. I don't really actually know how to pr- pronounce this, but the meaning of the Old English word was calamity or danger. Um, and basically, the uh, the word came from the Germanic word for. Like reverence and respect, also, which we thought was kind of interesting like calamity, danger, being frightful, um, but also like reverence and respecting someone. And we're like, that feels a little bit like a little more complicated. We want to keep that in mind as we come back to like the role that fear plays in our lives. The word phobia. um, So, the word phobia, the definition of a phobia is an intense, severe, or persistent fear obviously my spider one is persistent but the the Penitence. etymology <laughs> pentence <laughs> maybe severe. um the etymology comes from phobos and phobos comes from greek mythology phobos can translates to flight and in greek mythology the god ares who was his partner was aphrodite they had um some sons and two of them were phobos and damos um and they would accompany Ares into war. Um, so Phobos was the god of, like, fear and panic. And Demos was the god of dread and terror. So we were kind of looking. We're like, okay, well, like, what's the story with fear and terror? Like, what do they do? What do we learn from fear and terror as the, these, these gods of fear and terror? And it was funny because we were like looking, looking, and we couldn't really actually find a story apart from the fact that they just accompanied their dad into war. And it got us thinking because we were like, all right, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's actually like the lesson itself is that, you know, anytime we are like facing something formidable, whether it's a big goal that we're pursuing or an incredible challenge that's in front of us and we're trying to get through you know, maybe it's helpful to just like respect or expect fear, or maybe even, you know, dread to be accompanying that thing next to that thing, but that it doesn't necessarily mean we should like shift our focus and, and, and focus just on the, on the fear. I feel like when we're kids, you know, we're told like, face your fear, face your fear to the extent that you almost maybe like believe that, oh, if I can beat my fears and make them not exist anymore, then I can be confident but I don't know. I think in, in my experience, at least, I feel like acknowledging fear, respecting fear, but choosing not to focus exclusively on it is actually what makes the fear shrink in size. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, oh, I'm actually going to, I know the fear is there. It's there. But I'm shifting my focus to this thing that's right next to fear, that fear came in the door with. And I'm going to actually just keep my focus on that thing that, you know, wants all of my attention and that I can use that kind of fight or flight response for.
1: Mm -hmm. I actually, I love the analogy of, you know, that this provides because firstly, like this brings us back to the Iliad, which is the big wartime story, the war in Troy. And, you know, this is really a, a smaller piece of it. But Ares is the god of war. He's part of the whole reason that this is happening. He wants strife. He wants war amongst men. And so his whole goal and his whole purpose is just to create this divide between people. And in doing so, he has these little henchmen that accompany him. And there's no purpose other than for them to cause chaos, fear, and calamity wherever they go. So in every battle... Seen like one of the mischievous, like either fear or dread, either Phobos or demos, is causing some kind of little rift to create like this really, you know, this much smaller interaction amongst this big war. And we loved this when we were talking about it, because for me, when I think about the story I almost picture myself as Aries in a way like for whatever scenario you're walking into you have these like two little things walking in with you and in real life like you're you're not just walking into a situation with fear and dread hopefully there's a couple other little henchmen next to you like confidence and wisdom and you know and they they all live together but you know it's like the angel and the devil thing on your shoulders but
0: what's that cute little our movie with all the emotions in the core. Oh, moment. yeah.
1: Inside Out. Yeah. Is it Inside Out? Yeah. 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 Where they all live with you. So they all serve a purpose. And it's like, not that you're walking into life like it's war, but when you're trying to conquer something or or get to, you know, reach a goal even, like let's use that as an example. Fear and dread might be right there next to you, but they're not the main story. You're the main story and fear and dread. Are two instincts that are accompanying you. Um, And I also love what you are saying about not necessarily having to conquer your fears or face your fears as we were, you know, once taught. I think there's a little bit of truth in that, but I think the reality is that in every situation in life, our instincts are meant to protect us. So fear is something that we carry with us and we should have reverence for because it gives us the ability to trust in ourselves to look at different situations and say, like, is this a good situation for me or a bad situation for me? Is this something I need to think about, you know, a little bit more deeply, or am I confident that this fear is irrational because, you know, X, Y, and Z or I've I've done this before and I know I can do it again. This was a very fun etymology to bring up, you know, the, the etymology so fun. Of and how it ties into Yes. And how it ties into fear itself.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I just think that, you know, I, th- I think that there's a lot of people that like do amazing things and we talk about them or we hear them talked about as fearless. Like, oh, that person is fearless. Like whether it's a speaker or like Taylor Swift on her freaking bazillion, to- you know, concert tour and like just going for it. it's like, oh, she's fearless. And it's like, yes, as a term that's like it's cool and positive but in reality that person is not fearless like if they were fearless they wouldn't be surviving because fear itself equips us to respond and that like fight or flight or I think the the new ones in trauma responses are like freeze or fawn have you heard those ones into like trauma nope. responses I
1: haven't but we can get more into trauma responses and how these things become embedded over time we'll go back yeah. to your spider spider web story (laughs) as a child you
0: know right (laughs) probably that's like some really weird encounter with a spider
1: (laughs) there's a part of me that just wants to like harp on that and be like no we need to go deeper
0: (laughs) deeper. I think it'd be better to like go into our at this (laughs) point with the spider I'm just like it's just it's just there and every time I encounter a spider it's an opportunity for me to you know look at it in all eight of its eyes use it as a mirror. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what I was saying was that like, you know, people aren't fearless. Like fear is yeah. actually the physical response and you being in healthcare and you know being really interested in the human body. So when we when we sense danger, the brain reacts instantly and sends signals to activate our nervous system, right? So that creates these physical responses and some of them include a faster heart Beat rapid breathing, an increase in blood pressure, um blood pumping to your muscle groups, um your skin sweats, sometimes you can have sensations in your stomach, your head, your chest, your legs, your hands, like basically all your extremities, and you know on the surface, you might think that, that oh God, like I don't want to be sweating, I don't want to be like feeling hot, I don't want to like have all these things happening to me, but when you think about it, it's like that's your instincts that's your body's way of saying like oh okay like we got to face something like we're going to survive through this and that's where you have like people doing these like superhuman things like you know lifting the car to get their child out from under or you know whatever it's like your body actually gets prepared to to serve you in the best possible way at its its highest functioning form and this is something we like to share with you know a lot of the girls in our workshops of past and you know that work with us Are afraid of like public speaking. And I think this is like a a actual, you know, this is a common fear in young women. Like we, we, you know, you use the word for fear and it's like, oh, we think of all these phobias like fear of heights and fear of the dark, fear of spiders. But most of the fears that, um, you know, our audience faces and really has a harder time grappling with are these like kind of more intangible fears, like fear of public speaking. And I think that something that really helped me with like public speaking was realizing that like, oh, you know, my heart's beating faster. My cheeks are flushed. You know, these, I, I'm like sweating a little bit. Like these are all things like my body's doing what it should when something's important to me, you know, or when I'm like ready to do something big, not like, oh, everything's going wrong. And it, you know, and this is a fear thing and focusing on the fear rather than focusing on the fear, just like saying, oh, the fear is here. Fear is elevating my body. And I'm, I'm going to choose to keep my focus on this big thing that I want to do. So we've talked about that a little bit with like public speaking.
1: There's something really meditative about that practice too, because when you take like, you could, you could substitute that for anything, like whatever your fear is, whether it's public speaking or performing or, you know, let's say it's a spider or like a weird cluster of ants or maybe it's (laughs) like the boogeyman in the closet, you know? Um, I, I like that you're describing this moment of pause because I think it really does kind of take us back to that early, you know, episode one definition of confidence where it's about having trust in yourself. So there's this, there's this portion of fear and phobias and dealing with them, if you will, where it invites you to take a pause and really examine it how you're trusting yourself and how you're trusting in your gut instinct. So as you mentioned, fear as an instinct and a physical response causes real somatic things to happen, meaning like your brain tells you I'm afraid of something or this is really scary or this is, you know, something that causes me anxiety. So your brain is sending signals to your nervous system to start pumping out hormones and pumping out, you know, all of these signals. So that your heart rate heart heart
0: beats heart re- yeah, <laughs> right. so
1: that your heart starts beating faster in case you need to like take off and start running and you might start breathing faster you might feel your belly like start to gurgle a little bit like those butterflies in your belly because everything is revving up and your metabolism is just starting to rev up you know in case you need to start running or, or be in a mode of attack Um or like you feel like that coolness or clamminess if you're like, for some people, their their fear response is to like pass out or to become so anxious. They like, you know, they what you call vagal or faint, you, where they like get all clammy. But we won't get too into the definitions of those things. When these things start happening, as you mentioned with like public speaking, I love that there's like that second where you can just kind of pause and say, okay, my heart rate's starting to jump up. My cheeks are starting to get flush. I'm here about to do something important to me. So is this fear rational or am I in a safe place? And then in that moment, you have an opportunity to tell yourself to retell your body, retrain your body what to do. You tell your brain like, no, this is safe. Like I'm here to do a speech or I'm here to speak to a group of people or I'm here about to have a really important conversation with my parents. And I can take a deep breath and I can trust that I'm going to be okay doing this. And I can trust that I am equipped with the skills to have this conversation or to, you know, give this speech. So I love that you describe that moment of pause and like that specific example of like having your heartbeat just jump up right before public speaking, because it's definitely one a lot of our listeners have talked about and shared with us. And it's also one that we've heard a lot in our in-person, you know, Meet Bridget events and, and our group cohorts where we're coaching girls.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that we, in another one of these little episodes where we just chat, we talked about that um, another practice that we do where it's like, what's the worst possible thing or like, mm-hmm. why? Just like keep asking why when you run into something like this, that feels like an obstacle. And like, I can use the example of like, you know, the spider fear, because it's a pretty simple one, you know, where it's it's simple in that it's like, you ask one why. It's like, okay, why am I fearful of this spider? Like, what could it do to me? And it's like, well, it could bite me, you know? And like, worst case scenario, it is a deadly spider and I die. Okay, that is scary. It is scary, you know? And actually, you know, the idea in that moment where it was like it was approaching my child, I'm like, no, it's one thing, like, I've had a lot of spider bites and like they itch and they suck, you know? And the idea of a spider crawling on me is really offensive. However, like, if my child had a spider bite, like, she, even if it weren't like a venomous, crazy one, like, she'll, it'd be really uncomfortable for her and she wouldn't understand what's going on. Totally. So that, that, when I, in that moment, I was like, all right, this is rational. Like me wanting to jump in and protect her makes sense, you know? But then the, the other moments where it's like, all right, what are the odds of all the spiders existing in my little bubble of life? Like how many of them, what percentage of them are like black widow spiders? And are they really like hanging out in my house? And if they are, like, what can I do about it? You know, and how could I pre- reasonably like prevent them from being around? And then it's sort of like when when you walk it back that far, like it helps me to kind of be like, all right, yes, this still makes me uncomfortable. I have a visceral reaction when I see spiders. However, like in that process, while I'm trying to like calm my my nervous system, I can think through like, you know, the the steps of like, okay, why? Why? What could it do to me? Like, let's think in like, try to make it more of like a analyze whether it's rational or irrational and then what to do with it. I'd like to also like walk through maybe a more intangible fear and see if we can, you know, because I think for some fears, like this one, I was like, okay, walking through that process got me to an understanding of like, okay, this is not necessarily something that I should really, that deserves a lot of my focus or time on a day-to-day basis. Do you have a fear that, you know, and maybe it's even helpful to think of like a a big goal or a big challenge that you had and a fear that has come along with it. And maybe we can like walk through that exercise of the whys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, we haven't talked about this yet, I don't think on the show, but I'm pregnant. And it's fairly early on. And I think as a lot of our listeners know, I've had multiple losses. So there's Obviously, a fear with pregnancy that the pregnancy will not go well or that something will happen. Now, is that a rational fear? I would say yes. Most of it's driven by past experience and a lot of it's driven by statistics. Clearly, I'm a data person and I like to read the studies and I understand the human body. So, for me, part of conquering that fear is constantly having the numbers and metrics in front of me, which can sometimes drive my doctors crazy. But in that process, I certainly go through what you're describing, Osh, where you have to continually ask yourself why. So to break it down stepwise, like to get super technical, you usually find out you're pregnant somewhere between like four to eight weeks, at at least like if you're tracking and paying attention. Like we'll, we'll just say reasonably. For some people, I'm sure it's a little bit different. But in my experience, when I have found out I was pregnant, it's between, been between that time, which is really early in embryonic development. And every week, something new is happening to your body. And so for me, the fear, it always comes on immediately. It's like you take the pregnancy test, you realize you're pregnant, and it's like, oh, crap, now you have to monitor your labs every 48 hours because that's how you can see if the pregnancy is perhaps going to be viable or non-viable. And so from a stepwise approach, you start doing it that way. And in my past pregnancies, I had so much fear and was really attached to going step by step and making sure we were doing all these things by the date, by the numbers. And I think after having my son and going through this particular pregnancy, there's a part of me that has really worked hard to detach from some of these fears, not necessarily because they're irrational, but because when I go down the whys, like, why am I testing my numbers every two days? Well, the answer for me is like to see if the numbers are going up. Then there's a certain point where is it still feasible to continue doing labs every two days? Because if the number goes up, am I going to feel better? Or is it going to dispel the fear? And so it goes down this rabbit hole, which I don't want to get too technical because I don't want this to not be relatable. But asking the why, why, why through every single one of those steps, I started to realize like that there were certain parts of like the monitoring process and certain parts of this that ultimately the answer was, it's going to be whatever my doctor and I decide to do together. And so in making that decision and coming to that final conclusion, there's a part of that fear, rational or not, where you kind of have to give up a little bit of the control. And so Mm -hmm. in this particular case, you know, I have to meditate with the fact that the fear is going to exist throughout the entire pregnancy, but that the why drives me to hopefully come to the conclusion every time that like, I'm going to trust in my body to do what it needs to do. You know, if the worst case scenario is that I have a miscarriage or the pregnancy isn't viable, then we'll have to cross that bridge when it gets there. But until that time, you kind of have to keep marching forward. Otherwise, the alternative is you stay still and do nothing. And your body's going to continue to do what it needs to do in the meantime. And the world is going to keep turning. So that's actually one quite recent example of fear and like getting to the root of it and having to function through something and just have confidence in the fact that the things that are going to happen are going to unfold regardless of you know which way I go so the thing that I have control over is you know am I taking care of myself am I meditating on these things am I journaling am I using my tools and it doesn't mean that the fear goes away completely but you can manage it or i can manage it by sort of revering the fact that it's there and understanding that the instinct is there for a reason and that you know it developed for a reason but that i can trust in you know what the future is going to bring
0: yeah and like even respecting you know that it's like okay you have this fear which obviously is like feels negative in your body you know Mm -hmm. because it's like elevated and all this stuff, but it's also, you know, a healthy amount of that is keeping you on top of your health and, and the feedback that you're getting maybe from your body and how you're feeling and, and your schedule and, you know, whatever you want to do to kind of like make sure, you know, just be aware of what's going on in your body. It's like a healthy amount of that fear is actually good. You know, if, if all pregnant women were completely fear-free they might not actually be even monitoring like oh how far along do- should I be or mm-hmm. like what should I be eating or not eating or how much rest do I need or how how should I move my body like a little bit of fear is actually what's informing all of those those things that we you know we, we ebb and flow throughout like a, a pregnancy mm-hmm. with thank you for sharing that Keish, and with everything I just feel so honored to be you know part oh my of this gosh. with you well, I also so respect, I mean, there is also speaking of fears, you know, I think one of the the fears that we were talking about as common, especially with our our audience, is the fear of evaluation, the fear of, you know, what other people are going to think of what I do or do not do. And one of those things could be like, okay, if I share my truth, if I'm transparent with something that is difficult for me, like. What will become of that? And you know, I think that this is just such a beautiful beautiful example of you seeing the greater good, the challenge of us wanting to create community around communication, around confidence and strength and honesty, seeing that next to the fear of like, okay, like I'm sharing something really candid and open. It's just a, a beautiful um example of what we're kind of talking about here.
1: Thanks, Sashi i think too when you are able to be vulnerable which is something that comes hand in hand with fear you know i think fear forces vulnerability out of us really beautiful things can happen i mean you see courage emerge you see your confidence levels go up in this particular case i remember talking to you a couple of weeks ago and saying i'm really scared to tell you this early on but i know Regardless of whether I tell you this now or I tell you this in several weeks, regardless of whether I tell you this now and it goes well or it doesn't go well, it's not going to hurt any less. And I get the added benefit, if I tell you, of having community at my side. And so, I mean, even that smaller fear was met with, you know, a really beautiful reaction, which was, I'm here for you and I'm here for you through the good and the bad that is a huge blessing. And I I think this is a really good transition into that fear of evaluation and that fear of comparison because, you know, let's face it, as moms and as women and as human beings on this earth, our performance, our day-to-day inevitably gets compared to what we see in our surroundings, right? That's part of why we created Bridget was to create exposure around different scenarios. So we weren't just living in a world where people didn't have other options or other examples to look at or other doors to be opened. Um, that's part of the beauty of this community we're building is we're just creating more and more and more abundance around us through these women that we work with and through these girls that we, we reach and through sharing with each other in our community. So one of the most recent articles we were actually looking at when we were doing some of the prep for this was about recent neuroscience research and how comparison was really becoming this big thing. And I don't think either of us were really surprised given the context of you know how the world has shifted, how social media has evolved, how different it looks to create community with our friends and the people around us whether you're like building businesses or brand or branding yourself. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Comparison, I feel like, you know, comparison is one of those like anti-buzzwords now where it's like, I, I, thou shalt not compare yourself to anyone. You know, like delete all the people. Don't follow the person on Instagram. Like, <laughs> you know, don't compare, just stay in your lane, you know? And it's like, okay, maybe a little bit of that correction is good. But, you know, comparison in a tribal worlds actually it is like fear a thing that helped protect us it is natural for us to look to those around us to try to un- and and use that understanding to mimic other people's behavior it was just something we do as kids like both of us are experiencing that with our children right now like wow <laughs> our kids really like they copy what we do and that can be like really intense sometimes but anyways as kids we mimicked in order to learn what to do But also, you know, as you grow in as cavemen, right, or cave people, like it was a way of keeping us with the tribe. It's like, okay, like I need to kind of adapt and see what other people are doing to make sure that I can stay with this tribe and survive through, you know, the seasons and whatever. Like it kept people together, which really it's like the essence of our survival is us staying together and using each other's strengths and, you know, complementing our weaknesses and staying together in that community, like communicating is what helped us survive as people, right? Staying in tribes. So I think that they're like going back to that and remembering that, okay, like a little bit of comparison, like I it would be impossible for me to live my life in a vacuum and actually very unhealthy. Looking at other people like can actually be a, a thing that we are inspired by other people. It's it's really a basis of, you know, we want people to listen to our episodes and maybe compare in the in the respect that they oh, like this woman, you know, never knew that she was going to end up in this career. She literally had no idea what she was going to be until she like literally turned 25 and she was turned away from a job and then had another opportunity, which ended up being an opening that like, you know, built her entire career. And I can relate to that, you know, like Mm -hmm. having that subtle comparison of like, oh, you know, there's someone like me that that can actually be a really productive and community building thing. So I want to like start conversation on comparison and and like fear of evaluation or fear of comparison that there is like a healthy version of that too Mm -hmm. right I
1: totally agree with that too I think it goes back to you know we've talked about characteristics being neutral and I think that that is a something that's really really applicable across like a broad spectrum of things including fears including comparison including like societal anxiety or social anxiety you know, where we're worried about being evaluated by our peers or being looked down upon or compared, whether it's for better or for worse. When we think about comparison, like you said, it can really be a tool. So I think we have to think about this as sort of like a neutral thing. You know, too much of a good thing is bad and too little is not good. But I think you get what I'm it's saying true. here. Finding yeah. the middle ground is sort of the key to being able to use this and integrate it as a useful tool in your toolbox. The neuroscience article, we'll go ahead and quote it, or or link it, rather, in our show notes. It's pretty interesting if you want to read a little bit more on, like, the technical science behind it. But the gist of it is that, you know, when neuroscientists were looking at recent brain scans and studies of, you know, a cohort of people living in the now, you know, today, with social media and internet access and the way that we communicate and collaborate as communities today what they were finding is that there is this crazy uptick in societal anxiety based off of this fear of being evaluated and the part that didn't really surprise us was that it was based on this fear of being evaluated because for us i think we've talked about this before plenty of times on our previous episodes and podcasts and different you know in different scenarios but social media and the way that we interact is just really different from the way that it was 10 years ago. And I'm sure that that's going to shift again. But having exposure to communities at the, you know, within the palm of your hands, being able to access what a large group of people is doing within minutes, you know, you can basically see if you have like 500 friends on Instagram, a thousand friends on Instagram, you can basically scroll through and see what have. A fair amount of them are up to you in a matter of minutes, um, which can sometimes be healthy. You can sometimes learn new things like, you know, really cool travel hacks or cleaning hacks or like how to do your hair. But sometimes it's a little bit more detrimental when you start looking at it and you're like, oh, that person looks like they're doing this and should I be doing that? Should I be traveling here? And so it's, it's really about finding that balance. And I think within the context of this conversation of fear and this conversation of, you know, society or social anxieties based off of fear of evaluation, it goes right back to, you know, our mantra of developing and honing self-confidence and going back to taking that pause and just saying, like, is this a tool? Can I use this to look at people who inspire me? And utilize these tools to create communities around me that are inspiring, create positive reactions rather than make me feel perhaps, you know, self-deprecating or not worthy. And like taking that moment to examine why we have
0: those feelings and why those fears are popping up. Exactly. I think this is like a a fun way to kind of round out to this whole conversation is like going back to confidence that it's like. Almost everything I feel like we can talk about and we can play it back into our confidence because confidence, like as we talked about, is self-trust. It's having trust in yourself. Um, And I think that, you know, in a way, I I actually really feel like fear can create confidence because, you know, I trust instead of saying like, oh, I have to be fearless. If I have fears, you know, I can't trust myself rather than like that, that's not rational, you know, it's not realistic, but to say like, oh, actually I know I will have fear, fear will come up, but I trust in my ability to sit and examine it, you know, or I trust in my ability to, when I feel some comparison or, um, you know, fear of evaluation coming up, I trust in my ability to manage that or, you know, focus on something else or kind of like, or realize that many other people are feeling this way too. And, you know, actually use that as a strength that it's like, oh, I can use my vulnerability to connect with others. And, you know, then suddenly this is a fear that we're bearing together, you know, or examining together that it's it's just coming, constantly coming back to that pause that we talked about, where it's like, you, we feel, you know, the, physical impacts of fear and everything, taking a breath and kind of then looking at it and, and either backing out like, oh, okay, this is one step where it's like, okay, I'm fearing that a spider's going to bite me. What's the likelihood of that happening? Pretty low. I can set it aside and move on with my life. But if you run into something where it's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm backing this fear up because I, I think that, um, gosh, I feel like was the movie that was talking about this. Uh like fear of um abandonment or like being alone. I think is a thing that comes up that's like at the end of that path for a lot of people and they keep asking the why, where it's like, okay, what are you afraid of? Um, Let's say uh, we have like a young woman who is afraid that, you know, you're dating someone new, right? And you're afraid that like, oh, if I share this thing about myself, like they're not going to like it or they won't call me back. It's like, okay, if they don't call you back, then what? You know, like what happens to you? And like, if you keep kind of taking that back and back and back and back, it's like, okay, well then maybe I they won't like me and then no other person will like me and then I'll be alone forever. <laughs> you know, but that's really like, if you take it all the way yeah. to that, it's like, all right. But then sometimes when you sit with that, you're like, I'm, I'm going to be alone forever. And if I'm alone forever, then I'll like, you know, I'll get really depressed and then I'll lose my job and then I'll be, you know, homeless. And it's like, okay, you get to that point, but it's like, all right. It sounds crazy, and that would really suck for that whole thread of things to happen. But like, probably it's not going to. Yeah, you know. And I'm I, probably okay <laughs> in this one situation. I don't know. Did that make any sense?
1: It did, <laughs> and I I laugh because I do the same thing. And once you get far enough down the rabbit hole, you sort of start to feel silly because you're like, yes. okay." Well, and I'm 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 only giggling because I'm hearing the the rational response to it, which you know, a really cool tool. If you're really in a sticky wickets and you're having one of these moments where you have to like go through this thread of like, okay, and then what happens? And then what happens? And then why? Write it down. Because this is one of those situations where if you write it down and you keep just like, you know, you write down the thought, then the arrow, and then what happens? This is the next thing. And you (laughs) kind of get to the point where you're like, well, I'll be alone forever. And you're looking at it on paper. And then you realize, well, you know the earth isn't really a vacuum and the world has what like seven billion people on it so that would be kind of impossible there's gonna be somebody there might not know them yet I might not like them yet but like you know there's you can start to see where it's like okay well like if I was really alone then I I guess I'd be forced to meet other people and then I guess like you know what I mean like so it, it makes sense to me because you can kind of like to use this as an opportunity to write down all of these fears. And at the intersections where you're reading them and you're saying, okay, this one looks a little rational, you can give yourself the rational response and say like, okay, well, this is what would really happen. Or, you know, it's kind of like that whole tactic of having a conversation with yourself. I think we've talked yes. about that in a couple of different scenarios where that can be a really helpful tool for getting through, you know, different problems or, problem solving your way through something that just, you know, is sort of, you know, you you just keep kind of circling the drain without an answer.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we're like giggling because like that analogy of like, oh, I'm going to be alone and then homeless, you know, it's like, (laughs) sounds a little ridiculous. And that practice is actually helpful. And then it's like, you kind of giggle and it's like, okay, well, that's probably not going to happen. But there are actually some, like some fears, you know, Mm -hmm. that like you track back and it's like, oh damn, no, like that actually, it really is that would be really scary. And that actually is a deep fear within me. You know, like for me, you know, growing and stuff, it's like, okay, like I have a, I have a constant fear of something happening either to my family or, or my parents, you know, and you know, those are like the things are happening to people's family members. Like they, they happen. Um, especially like our parents are getting older and stuff and you like run that back and it's like, yeah, actually like the more I run into that, the scarier it is. And like, I've seen it happen with friends.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know and then like okay if you try that practice and it's like that was not effective or or it's or it's made me realize a real deep relevant fear it's up there (laughs) you know it's uh, with it's with its father in the war you know yeah then it's like and same thing with you know not same thing but similarly your fear of you know losing a pregnancy or like I had a, a lot of fear around like cancer, which we like talked talk about in other episodes, you know, it's like, okay, no, that's a, like, this is our, not irrational fears, like their fear is based in something, They're but then rooted
1: in, in a response that our body had, like, it's almost like yes. muscle memory, you know, you're yes. never going to forget the experience of hearing your diagnosis, and then everything that followed.
0: Never. Totally. But I think that once I realized, like, you, you know, it's okay to like, sit with that fear, feel it, cry you know whatever it is that your body needs to experience to like feel that you know that fear that sadness or dread or whatever it is but then you know once that's been kind of wrung out of your body then also be like okay then what can I do like what you said is like I'm clearly I'm not in control of that thing that could happen or whatever but like what can I do in the face of that what is my next move in this battle you know that I can keep moving forward and focus on, even though the fear is, is, you know, part of the fight.
1: Yeah, it's pertinent. I think um, this is where I think it's so beautiful. Like we totally unwittingly came across this etymology too, but it's so beautiful that there is that link between fear and revere, you know, because it's so, it's a really potent um, connection. And I think that's really visible in, in examples like this, where there are absolutely situations where there are real fears um, whether it's you know loss of a pregnancy or loss of a child you know your child getting hurt you having a cancer diagnosis or any other type of diagnosis those those are things that can happen our parents growing older you know those are situations where we might not be in control but we can you know take a step back and examine our fears and you know honestly You know, take an honest look at them and revere them for being realistic and, uh, you know, scary and that that's okay. You know, sometimes there are going to be things that are out of our control and there may be things, there, there almost certainly will be things that will come into play at some point in life because that's just what life is. And I think being able to examine those and sit with them, you know it's a little uncomfortable but you sit with it and just understand it's going to happen and you're going to be okay and if you take it one step at a time likely you'll be able to deal with it you know you'll be able to go through the motions of it and make make it through just like with all of the other great failures we've talked about with our you know past interviewees and guests you know there are just these moments where life really can Throw you a curveball. And rather than, you know, rather than I think wait for the fear to completely knock you down and bowl you over and just like not get up after, you know, it's an opportunity to self examine and, you know, trust that things are going to be okay, that we can, you know, get through these things, that we have resources, that we have community that we can leverage, and that a healthy amount of fear you know, exists for a reason.
0: I actually, I I think that it's a interesting point to even examine. We haven't used the word worry mm-hmm. really in this episode yet too, but worry is also kind of in that, um, that same mixed bag. It's like fear, phobias, all these things. And, it's like and the gaiety. anticipatory part of it. Yes. Right. So I think that even thinking about worry a little bit, because it's like, it's one thing to have fear while you're in the battle, you're on the field. And it's like, I'm in it with this big goal that I have and the fear is there or whatever. But it's also like, worry, a friend really beautifully, you know, I was explaining a worry I had to her. And she was like, you know, I see you. Like, I have worries like that too. But she's like, When you look at your life and the things that really like pulled you over, that you had to face, that you needed all of your senses to really like face, how many times were they really the things that you were anticipating or worrying about or spending a lot of energy worrying about? And I thought about that and was like, very rarely any of them, you know, those little those worries, those nagging worries. I'm like, no, like, did I ever anticipate or worry like, oh, I might get cancer? No, not when I got it you know, or like, did you ever, I mean, yeah. And now I'm, I feel like we have kids. I, I do, I drive and I'm like, I worry about car accidents and stuff, <laughs> but like, when I've actually been in them. I didn't think they were going to happen right then. Um, you know, things that usually the things that, guard. yeah. Like things that create actual fear where we need that kind of response and that energy. Those are usually never the things that like we're worrying about. So, you know, I think also remembering that it's like, oh, I have this, I have this response for fear, you know, like real fear when I'm doing big things, like the physical response, like let's not waste those physical responses, you know, those, those big feelings on, on maybe just, just worry, like those kind of irrational fears or letting us kind of letting ourselves kind of spiral down into like the rabbit hole of what if, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or like the future and not what's right in front of us. Like it's one thing to kind of be facing what's in front of you and have fear be in the room and like acknowledge it, respect it, you know, and place your focus on, you know, what you, what you want or need. But acknowledging also when something is more of a worry.
1: Yeah, it's that mantra. I think we've, we've mentioned this in the past, but somebody had once told me that the anxious person lives in the future and the person that lives in the past is depressed or something like that. But It kind of reminds me of that. It's like the ability to stop yourself before the spiral or, you know, perhaps catch yourself within the spiral can really reel you back to the present moment. And I think that that can be a very poignant thing in and of itself because there are situations where fear is really warranted. But I totally agree. Spending time worrying too much is really a rabbit hole that, you know, can be a bit wasteful.
0: Well, I mean, this was fun. I love that we wove yeah. a couple etymologies into our conversation. And obviously, you know, it's something that's a work in progress. Like using our fear to build confidence is something that we can do and we have done. Um, but that is is something we continuously will have to face. So we'd love for our audience to share with us maybe some of your fears if you used any of these exercises and got to a place that was maybe helpful or helped you have some clarity on where a fear was coming from, whether a fear was, you know, relevant to your present or something in the past or future. We'd love to hear your feedback on, on this episode and what it may be brought up for you. Um, and also any suggestions for topics, um, for future conversations like this, we'd love, um, we've really loved getting your questions and prompts. Um, so keep it coming and we will see you next week for another episode.
1: Don't be afraid to reach out. See you next week. See you next week. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time.
0: Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?